This is episode 103 of the Etic Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and I'm joined today by my curious and creative co-host, Mindy Carney. Oh, curious and creative. Yes. Thank you. Uh, on another podcast that I hosted, <clears throat> oh, um, my co-host, uh, Lynn Kleinmeyer, was, was a big fan of alliteration, and she would always introduce me oh. in an alliterative style. Oh, how cute. So I thought I would just take a page out of her book. Sure. And uh, you are creative and curious today. Okay. Well, thank you. Can you live with that? I think it seems shallow when you just put words with C at the beginning to describe me when you don't actually mean them. Well, swiftly moving on. (laughs) (laughs) News and follow-up. All right. So I don't know if you saw this. Um, There's news and follow-up today. might as well just be termed things that I didn't know but were already a thing, I think. So uh, you can now share your slides as a virtual background inside of Zoom, which I think is interesting. Since when? I don't know. Um, okay. The document I'm looking at here says it was last updated on February 7th. Okay. So well, that's not... Maybe a week ago, maybe longer. Maybe, maybe they just okay. updated it. Yep. I don't know. But you can share PowerPoint presentations or keynote presentations hmm. as a background inside of Zoom now. It's under the, the sharing menu. Uh, if you click on advanced, you can share slides as a virtual background. Huh. And you that's superimpose... New. I have not seen that before. You superimpose yourself over the top it. of the slides. So, I mean, that's kind of fun, I yeah. think. Especially if you were, like, screen recording or something, yeah. recording that as a, as a video. You could yeah. make some fun little animations and things like that. Yeah, that's so, got a lot of possibility, actually. I think so. It's similar to an app we talked about a long time ago called Mm-hmm. Oh. Do you remember that one? No, I was thinking of, like, Telegami, though. It was kind of like Telegami. Oh, Telegami? Yeah. Wow, there's a blast tele- from the Yeah, past. I know, right? Yeah. I was like, what was the name of that app that used to, like, be able to put yourself, like, an avatar of yourself... Yeah. This is like real you, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, next up, okay. and I happened to see this when I was eating my lunch today, but oh. um, Google is bringing Chrome OS to PCs and Macs. I thought I'd pause there just to see if you heard that correctly. But um, Google has announced early access to a new version of Chrome OS called Chrome OS Flex. And this new version of Chrome OS is designed for businesses and schools. It's designed to run on old PCs and Macs. So if you've got old hardware that you're like, it's too slow, it doesn't run on there anymore. And he's like, hey, why don't we just put Chrome OS on there? And it's lightweight, it's fast, it doesn't need much. So essentially you're making Chromebooks out of outdated machines. Yes. Clever. Interesting idea. It is. So you have to pay for the software, I'm assuming? Unclear. Oh, yeah. It's part Um, of the enterprise. Yes. (laughs) I would think businesses probably do, but I don't know if education do or not. But uh, I will link to where you can find out more about that. I think it's kind of a beta program right now. Okay. But... uh, Interesting move by Google. Yeah, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again. <laughs> Something else that I think is interesting. Okay. I don't know if you heard of this service before, but there's a service out there called My EdTech Bundle. I have not. Is this brand new to you? It is. Okay, so mm-hmm. I think it's Kyle Nemus is his name. We talked about um, an app before called Classroom Q. Yeah. Where students could... Um, Digitally raise their hand and the teacher would see it on a dashboard and go around and right. help them. Okay, yep. So he, he's kind of an ed tech entrepreneur guy. Okay. He contacted a whole bunch of ed tech apps and services mm-hmm. and made an arrangement with them where you could pay like $5 for like a trial subscription. All right. So normally, you know, you get like one week for free and then you have to pay for the premium service. So he did it. So it was like, I don't know, you get like three months for $5 or oh. you got, you know, two months for $3 or something. Anyway, his whole service, My EdTech Bundle, is now completely free. So okay. you can get extended free trials for a whole bunch of different tools. And you can see them here if you click on the link. But you can get three months of Pear Deck, three months of Nearpod, three months of Book Creator, three months of Moat, Cami, Prezi, all these other types of tools you can get a free three-month trial for. Wowzers. So That's I mean, interesting. We're getting to the end of the school year. If you just yeah. want to... Give something a shot, right? Give something a shot for three months until the end of the school year. You could try one of these out. Nice. Um, at no cost to you. Okay. So 
Hmm. I thought that was worth mentioning if you want to go take a look at those. Yeah. Good one. And I mentioned Pear Deck there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know about these because I didn't know about these, I don't think. But okay. um, Pear Deck updates people might have missed. Okay. We're big fans of Pear Deck. Did we you are. know about the reflect and review feature inside of Pear Deck? Yes, I did. But um, Tell me about it then. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah? I, um I was showing Pear Deck about two weeks ago. And during my presentation, I'm like, what is this? Don't you just love that? And that when was you're... it. And that's all I know. So I did know that there was something with Reflect and Review. And I think it was. And I'm like, I don't I don't know what that is. So I'm not going to talk about it. And I just remember seeing something along that lines at the And that's all I know. So there you have it. Yeah. Well, with, with Reflect and Review, you and your co-teachers can easily move from a live session to evaluation in a flexible environment. So it lets the student like almost rewind and go back and see what a live Pear Deck session was discussed and hmm. what the comments were and what people were doing and then move to like a student pace mode where they can use that information to answer questions uh, later on in the session. So if you did like some live whole group teaching together and then you flipped it over to student pace mode and then they could go back and, and see what the original ones were like. Hmm. I'm glad you brought it up again because <laughs> I haven't tried it. Something I should go and look at. I know Lynn was talking about it recently, and I yeah. was like, you know, I did remember seeing that, but I have no idea what it's about. Yeah, so, right. Good one. Okay. Reflect and review from Pear Deck. And then there is the Be Internet Awesome integration with yes. the Google stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did you know about that? I did. Um, you have to. So Pear Deck has some different integrations into it. Um, like with Newzella and then there's a couple other ones. Um, there's something with like social, emotional and health wellness, something I can't remember what the name of it is. Anyway, um, the B internet awesome though is like a, is a different thing and it is, you have to download all of those into a Google drive folder. Um, and then you have to, you have to pull them in. So it's a little bit different than the integrations that you might find with some of those other third party tools, but, um, what I found when I downloaded them is that it took a while and it errored out a couple of times, which I thought was oh, yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you just, and they're, I believe in English and Spanish, if I remember correctly. Okay. I think it's bilingual. So that's a good lesson. Check those out. Yeah, with sure. Pear Deck being free for all Iowa teachers, um, yeah. I think it's maybe features we don't talk about very much. We yeah, spend a lot probably. of time doing like one-on-ones and setups yeah. and getting people going with them. But yeah. if you're ready to dive a little bit deeper, I will leave links for those in the show notes. Speaking of which, though, maybe oh, yeah. we should follow up on last week's uh, oh, okay. show notes. Right. Yep. You had a request for listeners. I did. And you had a response from a listener. I did. So Katie Wardrobe, I hope that's correct. It looks like it's Katie Wardrobe, right? It looks like that. her last name. Sure. Um, she sent a message that said, um, to try, I think it's Yeenote. It's Y-I-N-O-T-E Chrome extension. And it allows you to, with a YouTube video to timestamp comments, exactly what I was asking for. So, um, I have tried it. It worked really well. I thought it was super smooth. Um, my only problem mm-hmm. is that... I'm afraid that they're not going to want to upload their videos into YouTube. Okay. But I don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely um, something that I'm going to send them to see if it, if it, um, you know, they're willing to upload stuff to YouTube. Um, I think they're a little bit more like tied down and stuff. So I like batting down the hatches. I'm not sure that they're uploading stuff to YouTube even as students. So I'm, this is something I need to look into, but this is a fantastic suggestion. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. All right. Up next, serve to you piping hot. Our main course is NFTs Uh with Michael Cohen, who is also known as the tech rabbi. We're so excited to have you with us, and we have no idea about anything you're going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) This is brand new to us, like this week, right? Yeah, we'll see how that goes. 
Thanks for having me. Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, who you are, like, uh, and what your education journey has been? Because I, I know I've been following a lot of your stuff online, and you're, you're a, bit of a, a bit of a chameleon. You've uh, <laughs> evolved and changed colors all, all over the years to, to where you are today. So how did that all begin? I love that example. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm always trying to uh, find ways to adapt uh, and grow and really soak in my surroundings. And that's really my, like, that's my ethos, you know, for education. So I have been in education now. This is my 13th year. I've had different roles from graphic design teacher to director of innovation for the past uh, about five years. I've, I've had that title at different schools. And I am not a career educator. And I really look to my background in design and creativity to help uh, with that chameleon process. I was a creative director and a designer. I went to art school. I never imagined that I would be an educator, but I had an opportunity to teach some design courses at Fashion Institute in Los Angeles, just as just giving, you know, as a service, giving back to the future designers of the industry helping them uh, avoid some of the challenges and failures of myself and, and just do really great work. But I fell in love with it. Uh, I had uh, this evaluation process the first semester and they, they called me into the office. They said, you know, we want to speak with you. Okay, great. Said the, um, the evaluations that came back uh, were uh, amazing. Uh, we, we don't actually get this, this level of praise and enthusiasm from students. And I wasn't giving them all A's, right? I was, I was making them better designers. And sometimes that can be frustrating. But they, uh, the students appreciated how I helped them on that journey. offered me uh, three more classes to teach. And that really began this journey, uh, segueing more and more into uh, the realm of education. Um, about two, three years into that, this is probably around 2000, um, this is 2000. 15, I started, I finished a master's degree in education, uh, really just, you know, trying to become the best that I can be, you know, lifelong learner, never, never stop learning type, type mentality that, that became like what I was about. And, you know, I'm, I'm never first in the technology space, but I'm always early and I, I'm really grateful and blessed that I'm able to have those opportunities. And in education, I have focused over the years on a lot of different technology that in the beginning, you know, seemed like a gimmick, seemed like something that, you know, didn't have value beyond, you know, edutainment, and then develops itself and kind of matures as a technology in the education world. And, and then it makes sense. And you saw this with augmented reality, virtual reality. You saw this with, you know, products like the iPad, where it, it wasn't taken serious in, until it was. And I pivoted pretty like pretty seriously uh, early last year. I was just really feeling the burn of COVID. Uh, I wrote a book in 2019 about creativity, the evergreen principles to develop, to really have just a creative problem-solving ability, not, not just to be good at art or music or some creative expression. And I really, right before COVID, was in a, a very just joyful pace of people taking serious the empowerment of students, really giving students opportunities like they've never had to have voice and to just be active learners because they have these tools to express their ideas and their insights. And then no one wanted that. So I was reduced to Zoom training and Google Apps for Education. And it's just like things that I had already done in 2000, you know, 12 and 13 that I thought I, I you know, so to speak, graduated from. And I just was tired. I was tired. And really there were moments and I'll just like be real and transparent moments where I was like, I think I'm done uh, in traditional education. I, I think I'm out because I don't, I don't fit in the box. You know, I'm not, I don't do well uh, when I don't have that, that creative expression and that ability myself. So I was looking at other things. I'll go into that because here I am you know, sort of back and reaffirming my, my love of education. So in, in, in the springtime, I was in clubhouse which, uh, you know, at that point was becoming very popular in the education space. And I saw these people that had these uh, eight uh, profile pictures, like the whole, the whole room had this, this picture. I was like, what, what's going on? 
some like solid, you know, you know, solidarity with some someone, an artist or something. And little did I know, I was in a room uh, with like the first generation of Board Ape Yacht Club holders, which is the biggest NFT project now. You know, with the lowest being like two hundred and you know fifty, two hundred eighty thousand, you know, per NFT. Uh, but in June, I was like, okay, I get this. The question was, do I go all in on this thing that you know? Some people love and some people really do not love and think it's a joke and a gimmick and a Ponzi scheme. And do I risk uh, the education community that for the past 10 years I have uh, provided insights into technology and education? Do I like basically ruin that by like going all out on, on Web3 and NFTs? And I, I made the NFT rabbi and I started posting there. And then people were like, no, no, just go back to the tech rabbi. Whoever sticks around will... Well, it will appreciate it. So I, I was like, I'm all in. I'm all in. The tech rabbi is is going Web three, and and we're going to really see how this can impact education. Okay, so let me pick up on that for a minute. You said you're all in on Web three. Before we get to NFTs, I think maybe we should talk about what Web three is and all the things that go along with them. So there's two things that are really important about the, the Web3 space. Now, I'll define Web3. Web3 is uh, the third iteration of the internet. So Web1 was basically uh, an environment where you went to access information. That could be information from a person, from an organization, from the government, and you just read. And that was it. Web2 was a creation you had the ability to communicate, to share. We had message boards. We had, you know, Live Journal. We had we had Blogspot. We had, you know, MySpace. We had, we had a lot of these GeoCities, right? Like we had a lot of cool ways where you could, uh, in a way, construct information a little bit easier as just a, a regular, uh, you know, individual. Facebook really ushered in a, a new level of uh, what the internet looked like, and for many years. Social media was the internet, right? Like that, that became the internet. So the creation, the curation, Web3 is about ownership. Uh, the internet has basically been built off of the free utility of access by using our data to profit. And Web3 is really about ownership. It's about ownership through uh, some other uh, buzzwords that I'll, that I'll clarify, like the blockchain, uh, through NFTs, you know, through a lot of different elements. But the main premise of Web3 is that we all get to create, we all get to be participants, but we get to own our data, we get to have an ownership, and we also get uh, to profit. So when you're in Web3, what do you get to do? So you can interact on different blockchains. Blockchains is a really cool technology that uses um, a network of computers to basically organize, secure, and store information and make sure that it is authentic and that it is truthful and that it cannot be changed or it cannot be uh, scrubbed or taken down. And right now, us three, we could make a blockchain and we could literally share that information and check in. And if someone would come into our blockchain and say, hey, uh, I want to send something to my friend, well, we can all check and make sure that it's, it's valid through um, some different markers like the previous transaction uh, at random to be the the last, you know, the the one hundredth or the the fiftieth transaction that happened before it, but it allows for us to keep organized, and that's really great because it gets rid of uh, the middle individuals in a lot of industries, uh, including education. Now, when you think of like blockchain and education, and I'm sure we'll get into you know into these kinds of details later on in the conversation, but like it's kind of boring. It's like oh, records. Well, there is a huge equity. Piece of letting people have access to their records and be able to move around and not wait for some sort of centralized authority to, to delay, decide, uh, charge them, things like that. But in general, I, I have a much more hope for how Web3 can impact education besides for keeping track of uh, you know, school records. The blockchain is, is, a great, is a great organizer. It's a, a digital ledger that keeps track of everything. Uh, and there's many different uh, blockchains that have different purposes. So the biggest are Bitcoin. Uh, the second largest is Ethereum. Uh, the third largest is probably, uh, I think, either like uh, Cardano or, or, or Polygon. But, but all of these have different purposes. So some are uh, finance focused, some are smart contract focused, so that you can actually have 
multiple uh, individuals keep track of and, and benefit from uh, a contractual commitment. So when you have a buyer and a seller and, uh, and, and someone that created it that needs royalties, there's a lot of empowerment for artists, for musicians, uh, but really just any type of, of maker or creator. So that's blockchain. So there are lots of us trying to catch up. Do you want to give us just the beginner's guide to what NFTs are and maybe kind of lay some foundational knowledge for us? Uh, an NFT is basically uh, a digital asset that uh, has some sort of storage of value. And that storage uh, has to live beyond the artwork, but the artwork is kind of like the first thing you know, that you, uh, that you interact with, you kind of want to think of it as a membership card to a community. So you have, you know, you have your, uh, you know, your fancy yacht club and your fancy, uh, you know, uh, country club membership. And those tend to be expensive and exclusive. And then you have something like a Costco membership or, a, you know, a supermarket rewards program that, it, you know, it's a little bit more accessible or a, a credit card uh, that doesn't have an annual fee, but gives you like cash back, right? Those are, those are, commonplace things where uh, you have a system that keeps track of your interactions and gives you some sort of utility. Uh, but there's no community, right? We're not like getting together with our other Costco members and saying like, hey, let's hang out. But in the NFT world, community has become a core part of how we connect on the internet, how we help each other, uh, how we uh, find ways to collaborate. And then in the greater scheme of things, the creators of the art of the NFT are also providing utility. So in some of those more fancy uh, membership examples where you might not be connected with the community, but you want those, those rewards, it could be you know, access to events, to fashion, to lifestyle, to experiences. And a lot of NFTs are trying to make uh, not just cool digital things like, oh, we're going to do stuff in the, in the metaverse, which is another buzzword, but they're going to do in real life stuff. Uh, one of the craziest projects that I've seen actually is one where if you own the NFT, you own part of an island um, in like the South Pacific. Really? Kind of like the next uh, Bora 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 or the next Valdez, right? So like that hasn't happened yet, but it's like crazy ways that people are thinking about community uh, and ownership. But the cool part about it is, is that this thing is trackable. If you go to the techrabbi.eth, you can see my whole history. You can see everything I've done on the blockchain, where I've dealt with cryptocurrency, where I've dealt with, uh, with NFTs. It's all trackable. Uh, and it allows for everybody to keep track of it in a way that they need to. So that's, that's NFTs. Web3 has you know, cryptocurrency, which is, is a, a currency that can be spent. It has a value. You have NFTs that are uh, digital assets that also have a value, but they're like, part, it's, your, it's your community membership card. You have a blockchain that makes it all work. You have metaverse, which is the digital environment to interact with all of those things. And then, you know, there's a couple other things, but you know, I don't want to like explode the brains of, of your listeners. So like, we'll, we'll deal with those, you know, at least in uh, you know, the, first, uh, the first time around conversation. So if I was an art teacher and I had my kids creating some digital projects and digital media, and the you know students are as in tune to these sorts of things as anybody else. They're going to see things and hear things about oh well maybe maybe I could make some money that way. You know what kind of things do I need to know as as a teacher or you know what kind of things do you think teachers should be talking to kids about when it comes to things like this? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And what's so cool about that question is that like that question is something that not just an art teacher needs, uh, district district leaders need it. Uh, and people just in the NFT space that are looking to create their own projects, because the, the, the core of the question is, how do you launch an NFT project? And now how can we provide that value to an art teacher and the principal of that school and the superintendent? Because this, this needs to be something much bigger than just, uh, you know, a fun art project. Yeah. What NFTs have a chance to do is to actually put art programs at the forefront of their school, which if you look at, are many times one of the most neglected uh, programs in the school, right? We've had, we've had a big focus on STEAM over the years, and it's like all in on STEAM. Let's do whatever we can to get these students, you know, these technical roles, be prepared to get into these universities. And there is a technical role, you know, in the NFT space, but 
one of the things that I'm super fascinated with, and this, you know, as someone that went to art school, was it an artist and a designer before getting into education? I'm really excited about this. The challenge, though, uh, and I'm doing this right now. I have two uh, students in uh, one of my innovation courses, two groups of students that are launching uh, pretty exciting, I think, pretty exciting uh, NFT projects. We're going to see like, if we can you know, get them to go all the way. But there's a lot of steps involved besides making great art. But the great art is what unlocks all of it. And the first step for students in an art class is that they have to understand the storytelling of art. You know, I took, I took so much art history that it, it kind of makes me a little bit nauseous to think about. I was obsessed with it, but it, it was like the, the storyline. You walk into a museum and you look at art. Oh, that looks nice. I appreciate, you know, the look of that for whatever reason, however someone would define it. But the story that Van Gogh or Picasso or, or Warhol or, you know, Basquiat or, you know, just a, any artist that you can look from you know, from the cave paintings through the Renaissance, through Impressionists, all the way to modern art, like they're all trying to tell a story. And that's hard for artists to wrap their head around. Is like, you can make great art, but to have a story with the art is really challenging. And so if you're making, you know, an NFT project that's a character, or it could even be like photography, NFTs are, are super exciting right now. Uh, even even like non-character uh, um, NFTs are, are something that is exciting. The challenge right now is like the NFT space is dominated by characters. Like every single animal has been made into an NFT project. Uh, and now, now like it just, it's kind of lost its creative edge at the moment. Any, any new animal project, I'm just like, this is, I'm bored. I'm really bored. Like let's, let's do something new. And I told that to my students and they actually came up with two different themes uh, respectively that were like mind-blowing but it took them like 15 brainstorming sessions uh, like oh that's not going to work that's not going to work to get there so you have to have that storytelling mechanism and the art now with the art you could do fine art but most projects are not one of one but it's totally possible for a teacher to set up a uh, an account on OpenSea which is right now the biggest uh, NFT marketplace and actually just mint one of one art that you just photographed, scanned, and took a picture and said, here's the student art. And then you have to figure out a buyer. So maybe you sell local. Maybe it's a, a new way for uh, lay leaders, community members, and parents to support students uh, by buying art. So it doesn't have to be super crazy complicated. One of one scanned, make an OpenSea account, costs a couple hundred dollars to uh, set up the, the account and get it ready to you know, run on the blockchain and you could, you could just literally stop there and just then market to your local community. But for those that are a little bit more ambitious to actually challenge the students to create a generative project that has, you know, 500, a thousand, I mean, the classic number right now is 10,000, which is a lot, of, a lot of NFTs, but they don't make them, they don't make them by hand. They use a random generator where you have basically uh, all the different assets of the of the image, the background, uh, the color of the character's skin, uh, the outline of the character, whatever objects they have interacting. And you break that up in Photoshop and make those all as separate layers that if you line them up randomly, they'll always line up. So you have to consider like if the character has ears and the um, the hat isn't big enough and then the ears pop through when you randomly generate. So that's not going to be a good thing. So you, you have to really be thoughtful of how you design it. But then you can run it through. They have like online generators where you upload all the assets and then it mixes all them together and makes 10,000 versions of the different, um, the different NFT projects. So like that could be like super wild, super amazing. But I don't want it to end there because the art teacher is just one teacher, one element of what makes a really great NFT. I want to see the English teacher collaborating with the art teacher and say, hey, what are the other core elements of a great NFT project? Oh, communication, marketing, community building. How do you share information and, and communicate effectively to a large group of people to entice them to build confidence, to build trust? And they should be learning how to uh, build out those communication skills in real time in their English class, right? 
I mean, like, why not? So this question, I feel like, is either going to show how I'm not following you or how I am following you. So you tell me. All right, let's go. How is it how can students work or these creations be protected? So we often talk about copyright with kids. And so how is it that someone can't just take a screenshot and own that? Or is that still a possibility? And that's the same as it is now. And then my follow-up question to that is how do they get paid? I mean, you talked about through open seas, which I don't know anything about. But is it just an account that each student would open? Are you talking about schools opening an account for kids? I'm a little fuzzy about that. Yeah, these are great questions. Uh, I think you're following along uh, better than you even realize. So the, okay. the, 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 <laughs> I'll flip the my right, hair. <laughs> the right click save as movement um, is right. interesting because uh, you know to get into you know intellectual property copyright. If students are creating something original. So they own the rights to that. And you can't just come and take that and start using that for profit. So the, the, the question in the digital realm is that we've built Internet 1 and 2, right? Web 1 and 2 on like the freedom of information. And even though if I right click and save as a picture and use it in one of my presentations at a conference that I get paid for. So if that person finds out that I did that, they could actually sue me and will win on copyright infringement. The challenge is, is that the internet is so vast that it is very difficult to, um, to find all of those people. Uh, but there are some really cool attorneys that like make it their lights gold to, to find that. And, and it's not just students, teachers themselves need to understand the limitations of you saving imagery and using even in your uh, professional practice as a teacher in the classroom like that you're not getting paid for that presentation, except you are because you're an employee and you get paid a salary to be a teacher. So you, you can't just start using images uh, freely in your classroom presentations. Uh, teachers need to know that, uh, you know, teacher paid teachers, you know, without getting into that whole thing, like there's some major copyright issues uh, that happen in that space. And, uh, you know, teachers, teachers need to, to, to perfect the practice if they're going to be able to successfully support other uh, students. But to get back to the question about the NFT, so the reason that the NFT uh, is so powerful, so valuable, that someone would want to right-click and say that as, is that it's like a social flex, social clout, right? Oh, you, Bored Ape, those are like the coolest people ever. So I'm going to right-click and say that as and pretend like I own a Bored Ape, except that you don't. So it's kind of like taking a picture of the Mona Lisa and being like, hey, I got the Mona Lisa in my house. Well, no, you don't. Well, yeah, I do. Well, you're being ridiculous. We know where the Mona Lisa is right? But the main famous one is in the Louvre in France. Like we know where it is. There's no, there's no question. So if it's worth right clicking and save as, then uh, people know like if you are not the owner of that. So how would you know? Well, it's awkward when the owner actually is like, hey, could you stop using that? If you right click and save as and print my NFT and hang it in uh, your room, I'm honored that you're, you think my NFT is that cool. But it's really about using it in the digital realm and like somehow benefiting from that. Now, if there's utility for the NFT where like an event or, you know, some sort of, you know, a merchandise, uh, you know, release, that's like a big thing that people are excited about, you know, getting access to a conference. So you have to show like proof of ownership. It's usually by connecting your wallet and verifying you own that. So if you right click and save as, there's no way to upload that to your wallet because the wallet is actually tapping into the blockchain and confirming, you know, that you own that. So, you know, these kinds of things are, are interesting for uh, students to know and just for anyone to know that, uh, yes, you can right click and save as, but the, the value of that right now uh, is really just to like ignorantly mock the space that most people don't understand. But like sh- long term, that, that won't be relevant because the, like every place where it will matter will be verifying NFTs to get access. Now to, to the ownership of it, if a student creates that artwork, they own it. Now, can a, can a school come up with an interesting way where uh, their support of students and the ability to create an environment where a student can uh, profit? So usually the way that it works is, uh, you know, the project launch is divided by 
um, you know, different elements. So I'm launching a uh, an NFT project through uh, the K20 DAO that I co-founded at the end of the month. So it's called ETH Educators, and we're launching, uh, I think, May, uh, March 22nd. And we have to um, pay our designer. I was like the creative director lead uh, on the artwork, but we had a 3D designer. 3D design is not my wheelhouse. We had a developer and we have to pay those. We have to, um, when we sell, hopefully sell out, right? Everyone that sells the NFT moving forward, they have to pay royalties. So there is a split depending on what value and contribution everybody provided. So if a school is providing that support, let's say the student gets to keep 90% of the profits and the school gets 10% to do two things. One is it does cost money to upstart. And I don't think that the students themselves have you know, that, that money in place. So if the school is financially supporting the launch, but also it allows for the, uh, the school to actually generate money to continue these kinds of progressive projects, because I'm not just looking at this as like a cool new way for, stu- for schools to help students with business. It's helping them with core competencies to be successful in the business world at large. So those communication skills, those marketing development, sales skills, the ability to you know, work with a team and collaborate and make sure that like developers are doing their part, uh, artists are doing their part. There has to be like a lead you know, on the whole project to project manage. Like where are these students getting these skills? You know, very few have them naturally or can learn them from the internet. You know, you have to have a certain awareness to, to build those skills, you know, even by, you know, through, uh, you know, through internet means. So I have a, I have a question about um, the, the value of NFTs and, and how, how we, I don't even know how to ask it really, but how, how we come to that point of, of what something is worth. Is it, is it like in the art world where it's, it, you know, it's worth what people are willing to pay for it? Or, you know, is there more, you know, of a, of a kind of internet culture that comes to this, where it's like memefied almost, where, you know, there's like, a, you know, things that, that go along with that to help with the, the value of these things? Or is it, does it go back to like, you're talking about, you know, the storytelling and, you know, all this kind of stuff? What, what goes into the value of, of making an NFT an NFT and making it worth some money? It's a great question. And I will tell you that right now, 99% of projects that you see today are not going to be around in three to five years. So there is definitely uh, a strategy right now that is, um, is, is taking advantage of the time we're in and the hype to cash grab, make money, and like, who cares how, how it's going to work? People are going to make money. People are going to lose money. You know, I won't pretend like that doesn't exist right now. But what you're going to see long term is projects that actually have legitimate utility and a price point that makes sense. Those ones are going to prosper. Those ones are going to stand the test of time. So Gary Vaynerchuk, very famous marketer, uh, you know, inspirational, motivational kind of guys, wrote a bunch of books on just like how to build social media brand for your business. He launched a project in. Uh, in the beginning of 2021 in May. And it's interesting because I bought Ethereum because he was talking about Ethereum and in interviewing. For whatever reason, I, um, I, just, I don't think I was ready yet for NFTs in May. I was still in an explore mode, but I didn't buy his NFT. And the, the cheapest NFT for him right now, uh, for his V friends, is $39,000. Now, what does $39,000 get you? Well, it gets you right now um, access to a couple of pretty significant things. It gives you three years of access to his conference, which when you see the lineup and like the networking and the speakers is like a crazy awesome event. And for most corporate conferences, it does cost, you know, three to $5,000 to get access to that, to that conference. You know, Adobe Max, CES, all these big corporate conferences. You know, people people complain like ISTE is super expensive. Yeah. But like, you know, to, to drop three thousand dollars for for Adobe Max is like not 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 even people aren't thinking twice. So get three years access to that. All the collaborations of like other NFTs that he's given access to, access to his book, 
access to exclusive content, access to an exclusive element of the community because all NFT communities have like the fans and then the, the owners. So the holders get access to networking and supporting one another. So there are literally people that are making business moves. They are finding financial collaborators in these communities because everybody is excited to be connected. And they're like, how can I help? How can I help? That's like the mantra, you know, the, the mayor of Miami, um, you know, for those that are listening, um, that, are, that, are, that, that are or aren't familiar. I lived in LA. I'm a SoCal boy through and through my whole life. I went to college there. I never really left. And I just transplanted six months ago to Miami. So the mayor of Miami, his famous tweet, how can I help? was like a mission to, you know, basically help every tech company make Miami its next, you know, the next tech capital. So that's like part of the Web3 ethos is helping and supporting and collaborating. So if you think about the idea of, you know, buying an NFT at that level of price, because it didn't start out there. You know, I think the, the mint price was somewhere around like, you know, five to $600 per NFT, but it becomes worth that because of that access. Now, are there projects with super inflated numbers? Are there projects that like a normal person can't be spending $40,000 on, on an NFT? I mean, that's a salary for some people, but you have to also look at something, okay? There are people that have been in the crypto space for a long time that bought Ethereum at $10, $50, $80. So when you see someone spending $2 million on an NFT, they did, that, that Ethereum is not at the current market price. Um, there's definitely, you know, some, some, you know, pump and some, some fakeness in, in like the pricing structure of some of these established projects or new projects that are just like quickly trying to, you know, rise to a place that other projects it took, you know, a year. So it took nine months for, um, for board apes to go from 0.08 Ethereum to 100 Ethereum, right? Like, so they're, they're like the Gucci, they're like the Bugatti, you know, you, you can't, yeah. there's only one Bugatti. So not everyone can be a Bugatti, but like you have like a nice Lexus, you know, even, even like, you know, Honda Civics can like be nice if it's like a sporty <laughs> model. So, you know, different things like that, um, I think are like good examples of like the fashion world, the car, you know, there's, there's real world examples of like the, di- the divergence and the value and, and like, what are you getting? And what's the, the social perception? I mean, obviously, a lot of this is rooted in uh, people wanting to be cool on the internet and be looked at as like part of uh, an exclusive club. So that, you know, we won't pretend like that doesn't exist. Sure. <laughs> so you have given us a ton to think about. If um, I'm an educator who's looking just to kind of get started and to dip my toe, where would you send me? So I would, I would, I would selfishly say, uh, go to my Twitter feed. Uh, but okay. I, I feel like I'm putting insane amounts of time, you know, into sharing insights. Uh, so I have a weekly, uh, I have a weekly show called the Non-Fungible Teaching Show on Twitter Spaces every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Okay. And I interview people that are in the Web3 space that are either specifically education or care about education. And we have really fun conversation. And then we, we have an AMA with the audience. Uh, you can also, and I'll share the link for this, you can also subscribe to uh, the K20 Educators uh, newsletter, uh, which uh, is is uh, founded by Vridi Saraf, who's my co-founder uh, on the NFT project, ETH Educators, as well as the K20 now. So I think that that newsletter, my Twitter feed and my Twitter show are just like really great ways to start piecing together how this is authentically uh, relevant to education and not just edutainment or like, you know, keeping up with some sort of fad and, and, and something that like, like I, we're, we're in a internet renaissance right now, but the beauty about this renaissance compared to the one in the middle ages is that we get to actually know that we're in the renaissance while we experience it. So we actually get to enjoy it. They, they didn't enjoy uh, the renaissance and they didn't know what was flying. So it's uh, it's exciting, exciting time. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And we'll have to debrief. <laughs> we will. Yeah. yeah. Talk over some stuff. So thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for, for having me on here. And I just, I'm, I'm always impressed by educators like yourself that are having these conversations right now, because like I said, we're early and we need to bring clarity to the space and relevancy to education. So thank you. Thanks, Michael. Up next, my favorite part of the show, tech 
nuggets. I love that enthusiasm, Mindy. (laughs) Okay, so uh, you've mentioned this before in news and updates, like something that probably has been there, but I just found out that it was there. I'm going to put my hand up and say I did not know this. I saw it in the show notes and I was like, what? What? All right. So um, the other day I was um, in a classroom and the teacher was um, making uh, small groups and she pulls up her Google Classroom app and I'm just watching like, what's she doing up there? And my goodness, if not under the people in Google Classroom, there isn't a random name selector like popsicle sticks. Just flips through the kids. Yeah. There it is. You have to use the app. So it has to be either an Android or iPad. Um, But yeah, just so ways to use that would be, you know, if you're just doing like random, like cold calling on kids or whatever. But yeah, she just made groups. The only thing about it is like you couldn't sort them into groups. So the kids had to remember who the three kids were in their group. You know what I mean? It wasn't like you could pull them apart and make them into a list or whatever. But yeah, it's just like a deck of cards. Hmm, super interesting. Yeah, did not know that was there. I did not. Yeah, but... I have no idea how long it was there. So that was uh, Kelly Roscoff at Solon High School. So thanks for sharing that with me, Kelly. Well, that's uh, that's a tech nugget right there, right? Okay, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will go with video candy. Okay. Do you remember a tool called PDF candy? I do. I was like, hold on, I think you've already shared this. It's PDF candy that was that was a real hot tool for a while. From the people that brought you PDF candy, <laughs> we now have video candy. All right. Which is a free online they call it free online video editor. I won't oh, go yeah. that far, but it basically, you know, in PDF candy, you could do all these different yeah. things to PDFs. In yeah. video candy, you can do all these different things to online video. So you can upload a video to compress it, to trim it, to merge videos together, crop videos. Resize videos, mute videos, loop videos, make GIFs, all kinds of stuff. Make videos go backwards. So if you don't have a video editor or you're not really very uh, tech savvy with video editors, then this could be a good place to go just to do that single little small thing that you need to do to that video. I think this is a step up from 123 apps. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, first of all, it looks more updated than one, two, three apps, but I think there are some additional things here, like video to GIF. I don't think one, two, three apps has that. I don't think so either. Yeah. Or like reversing a video uh, yeah, or muting a video. So I think there's some additional things in here. Rotating a video is yeah, interesting I don't too. Because so. sometimes yeah. people have filmed them with their iPads or their phones yeah. and the video is upside down. It's like, well, what the heck happened here? And yeah, it's, yeah, right. You just want to switch it over and then. Send it somewhere else. Good job. So videocandy.com. Okay. Um, my second one is one I always like to say I don't know much about, but Beth Swantz brought this to my attention. It's been an open tab in my window for what seems like an eternity. It's called Tract, T-R-A-C-T. Um, it is, I think, more – the focus on it is like project-based learning. Um, and it is content that is – Created by kids for kids. Mm-hmm. So um, there, you do as a teacher have the ability to like cl- create like a classroom and manage things. It's kind of hard for me to talk much about that since I'm not in the classroom anymore. But you can go and enroll in these courses that kids have created. Really? Yeah. yeah. So um, it's all free, at least that I could see. And I think Beth told me it was free too. But like I said, I don't know much about it, but it did really pique my interest. So might be one to check out. At least anything to kind of model, like for kids, if if you're thinking about doing something like this just within your classroom and not using, you know, the website or whatever, you can still access those videos that kids have created and as a model, you know, for kids to be like, oh, I didn't even, this is something new or something I hadn't even thought about doing or whatever, so. Reminds me of the uh, the research episode we did when we talked about the idea that if students know they have to teach somebody else right. something, then they put a higher level of, yeah. of effort and application yeah. into it. So right. maybe this could be a tool to, to put that into yeah. practice. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, last but not least, I've got a fun oh, one to finish. Okay. I think it combines two of Mindy's loves, oh. math and oh. emojis. Oh, look at this. So I happen to see this on Twitter today. It is solvemoji.com. Okay. 
And it is little algebraic puzzles. Yeah. Based around emoji. So I'm looking at the one at the top of the page here is banjo times banjo is 25. Mm -hmm. Banjo plus microphone is 15. Accordion plus microphone is 18. So a banjo plus two accordions must equal what? Mm -hmm. And you got to work out what the numbers are for each one. So lots of these different types of puzzles in here. Some of them do get more complex because you can have, you know, the classic ones like that. They have uh, mixed ones. They have grid ones. They even have like some uh, word letter type ones where, you know, it'll say one equals O, two equals B, three equals R, and you've got to try and work out what some of these uh, words are. All of the puzzles on the website are inexplicably 100% free. There is also a free app for Android and for iOS. Yeah. And so... Interesting puzzles. I mean, yeah. I think for a while there, Wordle was all the rage. Yeah. But, I mean, who needs Wordle when you've got solve moji? I know. Look at that. Moji, moji, moji. It's cute. It's colorful. You can do them straight on the website yeah. there. You can click on any of the puzzles and get like a distinct link that goes just for that one puzzle. So if nice. you just wanted to put one in Google yeah. Classroom as yeah. a warm-up or something yeah. when kids are coming in the door. Yeah. Um, just a really interesting idea. Oh, that's kind of fun. So there you go, solvemoji.com. All right. Well, we had lots of information on today's show. We sure did. People's brains are probably full (laughs) after the tech nuggets and the NFTs and all the news updates. It's been a a feature-packed episode today. So we should probably take pity on our listeners and finish (laughs) things right here. Uh, We will be back again with um, another exciting episode sometime who knows when, right? <laughs> On a regular schedule, which is just not a schedule at That's all. That's right. Yes. That's right. So until that time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot.